The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Uh, Glad you could be with me today. And we are going to be uh, talking about the uh, rocky soil, the seed, the Word of God that fell on soil that had a predominance of rocks, rocky soil, seed cast on the rocks. I, I sort of want to forewarn you that this might be a bit of a sensitive subject uh, because I typically don't like to um, sort of look at the, the glass half empty perspective, what's wrong. I prefer to encourage people to pursue what is good and what is right uh, that uh, uh, is germane to spiritual growth. <clears throat> but often when we uh, visit a physician for our yearly checkups and he does blood work and uh, checks our vitals, sometimes he identifies something that has gone awry in the body. And um, our next two podcasts, is like that. We'll be looking at rocky soil. Uh, We previously looked at wayside soil, the hardened heart. Now we're looking at rocky soil. We will uh, spend maybe one or two additional podcasts on the thorny soil. And then, of course, the good ground, which is where I'd love to go. So we are uh, just having conversations about the rocky soil and and to set a context there are about uh three things we really need to consider so the the seed when you read the gospel accounts uh some fell on the rock some fell in areas where there was a lot of rocks so it fell on rocky places places without much earth and that's the key without much earth um Luke, I believe, in in chapter 8 said it fell, the seed fell on the rock. So there is a preponderance of something that is nullifying the ability of the seed to germinate. Something that's nullifying the ability of the seed to germinate as God intended. And so, uh, secondly... Uh, we learn that the seed germinated rapidly. The part of of the seedling that pushes up towards the sun, towards the light, the elements, that part is what we are seeing, the part that's exposed. And so the lack of earth, of soil, uh, precipitated 
an unusually rapid germinating process. And this is what Matthew in Matthew 13 and Mark 4 said, that the seed sprouted quickly, rapidly. And again, I want to remind you, that's the part that we, you and I, see. However, when you go to Luke's account, he omits this part, which I thought is rather interesting. Luke omits this part, and I believe his focus is what happens below, hidden from the eyes, in the soil, and and rightly so, typical of a doctor. I thought, how interesting that the Spirit of God did not remove the 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 uh, personality distinctives but you know a physician would be considering well what's going on inside the body and luke i think rightly so is focused on what is going on beneath the surface hidden from the eyes what is the cause so that brings us of course to uh, the third salient point that we have to consider and that is that the sun arose All three writers indicated that, that the sun arose and the visible part of the seedling that was exposed to the elements was burnt up. It was scorched. It withered and dried. And we are told not having root. So Luke identifies the absence of moisture beneath the soil. That is the ultimate cause of the death of the process of this seed germinating, having a root, and having a seedling that can, uh, if you will, uh, absorb um, nourishment from the light. So we, we come to some important points. And one is this. The Spirit of God, in explaining what this heart is like, what the dynamic is, simply tells us that the immediate, the seen part of this process is when a person hears. They hear the word of God and they receive it immediately as such, as the word of God. They receive it with joy. This is what the writers are telling us. And this is what is observable to the naked eye. You know, the onlookers are happy. You know, we're sharing the word of God with someone and they appear to really embrace it. And they seem to be happy about the content. And we are enthusiastic because based on all outward evidence, it tells us that this person will be like us. But we are ignorant to the inner dynamic that inwardly they're not like us. Outwardly, they are glad recipients of truth. And I want to emphasize this. There are two parts to this process. One is seen, one is unseen. What is seen is an immediate a willing, grasping, and embracing of the truths of Scripture as they are presented. And so, we can't see the inner dynamic, but based on everything we have discerned, this person is on their way, or maybe already have embraced the claims of Christ 
eternal life is theirs. Passed from darkness to light. You know, all of the, the catchphrases that tells us this is great news. But here is the problem. The hidden part, the unseen part. And the writers clearly state they have no root in themselves. This is the problem. They have no root in themselves. And the underside to that is with no root and a lack of soil, the germinating process will never be complete. The second part of the spiritual germinating process, which is always hidden from view, is the root that pushes down seeking moisture, nutrients. This part of the process failed to develop. The Word of God, the Scriptures, biblical truth, must, and I emphasize, must find a downward course in a man's heart. The word of God must find a downward course in a man's heart. The absence of depth, the evidence of new life, is premature and short-lived if there is no root that pushes down into the soil to extract moisture, nutrients, life itself. This failure to complete both the external and the internal process is an aberration of spiritual development. And I want to emphasize and repeat this. The failure to complete both the external, that is the receiving with joy, the apprehension of truth, and the internal, the pushing down of a root into the, the depths of the soil to extract the needed nutrients. If both are not present, this process is an aberration of spiritual development. The person without root and depth is playing to men's eyes. There's an effort, a personal effort, to convince people that there is authenticity. And this is largely showcased in Christendom today as being true and authentic biblical faith. But it is devoid of the regenerative power and presence and work of the Holy Spirit of God. And I want to, I want to drive this point home as we talk about this. You know, sometimes when our Lord Jesus sat with his disciples and opened the scriptures to them, they had to wrestle with difficult subjects. He had to be clear. Sometimes he would be talking about the Pharisees and, and their teachings and their practices. And, it, you know, to us, uh, 21st century hearers, it, it seems like a scathing rebuke. But it was a dangerous precedent that was being set. 
And here we are, the Lord Jesus is speaking to crowds. And in those crowds, there are only four types of hearts. There are no others. There's just four types of hearts. <laughs> the, the, the wayward, wayside, hardened heart, the stony heart. And we'll learn what that is, the, the heart that is encumbered by thorns, and then good ground. And so again, I said, the failure to complete both the external, what is visible to men, and the internal, the driving down of the word of God into the human heart. Without both parts of this dynamic, what we are observing is an aberration of spiritual development. This person that we see, see that appears so joyful, joyfully receiving what is taught, is exercising an effort to convince people, I'm authentic. I'm the real thing. But what with this person, and so often in our society, uh, becomes a demonstration of true spirituality, is really what is being showcased as authentic is devoid of the regenerative power, presence, and work of the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, <laughs> that person is the same. They have not changed. And we will see how. We'll see what God does. We'll understand why trials and difficulties happen to people at times. So this person is playing to men's eyes. They're seeking the approval of men. In fact, the Lord Jesus in John, uh, I believe chapter 5 in about verse 43 or 44, said to his hearers, how can you believe if you seek the honor that comes from men and not seek the honor which comes from God only. So essentially, his hearers were faced with the same challenge. They want the approval of men. They want the accolades of men. They want men to affirm that they are as those who are presenting the truth. I'm like you. We are one. We're brothers. <laughs> Sometimes you hear people say that, you know, we're all brothers. No, we're not. We're not. Sad to say. Why? Because, you know, even in the flood, <laughs> Noah and his sons and their wives and his wife were the only ones delivered. Okay? Uh, in in the, the time of uh, Israel's split kingdom, you know, there was always a remnant that was saved. Not everyone was delivered from the judgments that were coming. We see that at the end of, you know, the, the entire biblical narrative. It's only a remnant that has been rescued. And so, <laughs> Jesus is saying to his audience, you cannot believe if your only objective is to convince men. And you say to yourself, well, how do I convince God? By embracing the truths inwardly, and allowing those truths to penetrate to the heart level. Not only the outer world, but the inner world. Remember, it's a two-part process. Both external and internal. And without both parts, we are looking at an aberration of spiritual development. A person wanting validation from men, which simply if you will, results in praise and honor and glory and acknowledgement, which originates with people, has essentially lost sight 
of faith in God's word. They've lost sight. They missed it. They missed it. They missed the purpose of the promises. And so this is the seedling part of the process, the part that men see, what's evidenced to men. And what a lot of people do is just that. They try to convince the onlookers, I'm like you. Some will say, for example, they'll use the language of the day, well, I'm a Christian. And then upon further investigation, well, how do you know? And then when you begin to hear the explanation, the thinking, you begin to realize that something had gone awry. And what has gone awry is there was an aberration standing before you. The process was never complete. But the root, the second part of the process is a seeking after the praise of God. A man, a woman, boy, a girl wants the approval of God that he or she has believed and understood these truths accurately. And they are willing and wanting to conform inwardly to what the Holy Spirit has revealed is an inward life that truly evidences rootage, which results in fruitage. This is the root part. Oh, my friend, I want you to step back and picture in your mind's eye a seed that falls in the earth and with moisture and sunlight, heat and so forth, that seed breaks, something pushes upward vertically. But while you're seeing that vertical part, that little sprig pushing its way upward towards the sun, towards the light, hidden from the view is another part that's pushing downward equally with equal force. The seedling, the pushing upward part, is what people see. We could say, ah, I planted a tomato seed, and look, a tomato plant is on its way. We are happy to see that. And we've taken the time to prepare the soil with the right fertilizer and moisture and so forth, hoping that when that seed germinates, The unseen part is taking place by faith. We are believing that. We're not going to pull up the seed to see if there's a root. No, we are believing that something has occurred on the inside of that seed and it's pushing roots down. Hence, it's pushing a seedling up. And we are glad to see a complete two-part process. Well, the spiritual life works the same way. For example, Jesus, in talking to Nicodemus, said, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him puts their confidence, rests their hopes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the sin offering, has everlasting life. He's passed from death to life. There's a transaction made concerning a biblical truth that results in a spiritual change that evidence it's itself to people's view. But it also witnesses within that person, by the Spirit of God, I've passed from death to life. We are told in another scripture that the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's a two 
two-part process. The seedling is evidence to men, but the root is a seeking after the praise of God, his approval, the fact that God is conforming and confirming inwardly to that person that the Holy Spirit has presented and executed and germinated true regenerate regeneration, true spiritual life that evidences itself in rootage, as I would like to put it. And in time, what comes out is fruitage. Rootage and fruitage. <laughs> I know this is a, a rather amusing way of looking at it, but it is most important. In that same John chapter 5, Jesus chided his hearers and told them, you don't have his word abiding in you. For whom the Father sent, you reject in unbelief. That was the inner world. Now, remember, these people were happy to see the works of the Lord Jesus, his miracles. But what he was doing now is revealing to them who they were on the inside. And so he says, you don't have his word, the Father's word, abiding, remaining, having its effect in you. Imagine that. We would probably say today that, you know, Jesus is being judgmental. But he's asserting clearly the word of God is not in you. Why? Because the one whom he said, you won't believe. The inner workings, the rootage wasn't there. And he went on to say in that same dialogue that you will not come to me that you might have life, the inner world. You see, if they came to him, if they became a disciple, a devotee, a follower, like the 12 that were with him and a few others of well, but the, the 12, were, you know, they were the core group. You could see outwardly that they are his followers. Now, you can also see inwardly that they were his followers because when he gave them instructions and, for example, sent them two by two into the surrounding uh, towns and cities, you know, they, when they came back, they rejoiced that even the demons were subject to them. They realized that they were being used of the Spirit of God. There was an evidencing outwardly, the seedling, and there was an evidencing inwardly, the believing to the point where this, the Holy Spirit could use them. So now, some considerations. You ask yourself, well, how, how do we know someone is genuine? Well, I'll tell you a brief story. When I was uh, a young Christian, very young Christian, uh, initially... Uh, my family did not embrace my newfound faith. Now, some will say, oh, that's unfortunate. Well, no, it's part and parcel of the Christian life. Uh, Peter, in his first uh, letter to the uh, Christians that were scattered throughout uh, Asia Minor, uh, dealt with the whole, the whole purpose of trial and what God intends trial to do. And part of the, the, the dynamic of the Christian life is you're going to be rejected. You're not, not everyone is going to embrace your message. It's not going to happen. First century Christians, many of them were martyred. 
Okay, they, it was not an easy road for them to travel. But I digress. Uh, the whole point being that uh, having shared my newfound faith with my family, uh, they were, most of them, uh, avid churchgoers, and some were agnostic, but uh, I immediately began to experience uh, heat, pushback, uh, challenge. Those who did not believe, as I do, even though you know some were churchgoers, it doesn't mean that because a person goes to a place that they embrace the truth, that there's a seedling that's evidenced and there's a rooting that's evidenced. Okay? We just see the visible seedling. Remember that. And so what I found is that uh, those relationships were now negatively impacted by virtue of my faith in Christ. And I remember a dear friend and brother took me aside and began to open the scriptures to show me from the scriptures that there are times that one will be rejected among men because of the faith. And that this is to the glory of God. It is not a popular message. Faith in Christ. It is an exclusive message. The Lord Jesus points to himself exclusively as the door, the way, the truth, without which no man comes unto God. That's a very difficult message for many to embrace because it's exclusive in its very nature. And so now you ask yourself, well, what is the method that God uses to betray the fact that there's no root, only a seedling. And he uses one method only. Heat. When we think of Job, that was a difficult circumstance for a man to be in. And God used his life, this one man's life, as the supreme example of suffering apart from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But God used euphemistically heat, trial, difficulty, loss, pain, heartache, heartbreak from his wife who says, curse God and die, loss of his children, loss of his wealth, loss of his health. And the only thing he had was his life. And that life was beggarly, painful. But he never lost his faith in God. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will see him at the latter day. He was convinced his faith had rootage in spite of the heat. And so we come to God using a furnace, heat, to reveal purity, authenticity, the refiner's fire. Often you will see, for example, in Peter's writing, he speaks to them, speaks to the believers concerning their faith, which is more precious than gold, though it be tried by fire. It removes the impurities we are able to see and assimilate 
and appropriate truth with clarity of mind and heart when we have gone through the crucible of suffering. John the Baptist alluded to this in Matthew uh, chapter 3 when he says, I indeed baptize with water, but he that comes after me shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Yes, we will have the joy of the Spirit of God in us, the joy of new life, but we will also take the heat of suffering for the cause of the kingdom of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. John was an example of this when he rebuked Herod for taking his brother's wife. That cost him his head, ultimately. The prophets in the Old Testament, many of them were martyred. And the Lord Jesus himself, a mock trial which resulted in his crucifixion. Of course, we knew how that story really ended to the glory of God. And Peter says in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, that the trial of your faith, I mentioned this before, the trial of your faith being more precious than, precious than gold, though it be tried with fire, might be found to praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So ultimately, God uses fire. Heat. And he said, well, what represents heat? Well, uh, <laughs> in the biblical narrative, there's tribulation, there's persecution, and then there's trial. <laughs> you say, well, aren't they all the same? Well, think of it this way. Tribulation is, is pressure, affliction, oppression. It's coming. It's like the enemies of your faith are coming after you in your environment. This pressure is coming from the environment. It's very general in nature. It might be in your social circles or your employment, sometimes in the home, but it typically tribulation is general. Persecution, diagmos is the term, is personalized. It's not just an oppressive environment as is tribulation, but it's personal now. You yourself might be ostracized from your family, from your friends. It's targeted to boil the heat down to you. It's like taking a magnifying glass and, and pointing it at, at a piece of paper, but as you extend it closer or farther, and that little ball of light tightens to a, almost to the size of a pinhead, that is the most intense heat, and it burns through the, to, uh, through the paper. Well, guess what? Persecution is like that. It's coming for you. The target is you. You are in the bullseye. Trial, on the other hand, is more of a combination of both. It's in the environment, but it also is personalized. It's combined it's an all-out assault on a person coming in their environment as well as in their person. You know, typically in the Old Testament, when, a, when an enemy came against a city, <laughs> tribulation would be when they build a moat, a garrison, 
to prevent any from going out or coming in. And essentially, they were starving the city into submission. (laughs) That would be like tribulation. Like the enemy gathered outside your gates, none can go out, none can come in. But persecution happens when they breach the defenses and now they're pouring into the city and they are about to slay the innocents. Persecution would be personal and the trial would be some combination thereof. And so now, We are dealing with a circumstance in which there's no root, no moisture, no potential for survival. How would you know when the heat comes and that root pushes, goes down, and it encounters rocks, rocky soil, because there's no moisture to sustain the seedling, the seedling dies in the heat. And so the heat betrays the inner state of the person who appears to be an authentic, genuine believer. There's no root, no soil, no depth in that person. And so when pressures come, when tribulation comes, when they begin, and and the writers, the gospel writer says, on account of the word. In other words, this person has embraced the faith. And people say, if you are a Christian, you are going to lose your job. In fact, back in the past, I knew a young man uh, who embraced the Lord Jesus as Savior. And then after two, three months, he just stopped coming out and joining with the believers and and, and, and enjoying the fellowship. And the story has it in time that, you know, his his family were from a specific persuasion uh, in Christendom. And they said, if you continue with these people and believing this faith, we are going to put you out. Now, he was just about 17 years old, so obviously he wouldn't be able to take care of himself. And the choice was, okay, I need to just relinquish this Jesus stuff and just go back to what I used to do. And that, my friends, is exactly what Stony Ground does. When they consider the cost, the price to be paid... They are offended, tripped, stumbled, the gospel writer said. The heat, the revealer, is trouble, persecution, and trial. It reveals by intense focus that there is no depth within the person. There's no rootage. God strips away the veneer, and the heat reveals the true nature of the inner person. If you've been through great trial in your Christian life for being a Christian and you're still going strong, you have the witness of the Spirit of God within your heart that you are an authentic believer, a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. The heat is the exposer to the world of exactly what you are. If you are the real thing, you will sustain your walk with God. If you are not the real thing, if there's no rootage, you will be revealed to be a fraud. 
My friends, trial is the divinely sent means to reveal if the word of God has taken root within a person who claims to be a devotee, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reaction of the person to the heat that has been, if you will, focused on them becomes a revealing moment to the person themselves and it becomes a vision of the unseen inner state of that very person. You see, we can tell if someone is authentic by what they do. And what they do is a reflection of what is in the heart. In fact, the wisest man said that. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I will behave as I believe, and what I truly believe will be revealed by the heat of tribulation, pressure coming from my environment, social circles, or persecution, a focused and targeted pressure upon my person. It is personalized. It's personal and personalized. I'm ostracized, targeted for what I believe. This is part and parcel of the Christian walk and experience. We may try to avoid it, get along with everyone, but it's not possible. The prophets of old paid with their lives. The New Testament apostles, except for John, I believe, all died as martyrs. The Lord Jesus laid down his life as the sin offering. But part of that process was a mock trial, condemning him to death. And we see when we look at the, the final book of the biblical narrative, John's, the revelation given to John, <laughs> the Antichrist uh, made havoc of the saints, slaughter. It is part and parcel of the Christian life. Heat, trial, persecution. Cannot escape it. And so, just to conclude our thoughts as we are, you know, we're, we're still walking beside still waters. But today we had to pause where the waters were especially quiet because we needed to examine our hearts and ask ourselves, do I have a stony heart? Has the word of God taken root in my heart? Am I prepared to face the fire that comes because I have laid claim to the fact that Jesus is Lord? Have I, that I've laid claim to the fact that, as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. I am the door by which when a man enters in, he can go in and out and find pasture, sustenance, what his soul needs. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll rest you. I'll give you rest. Who can offer that to a human being? And so the flesh life, the life that is full of self, 
Okay, that's the stony ground. That person is all about self-preservation. And when the heat comes, they're going to step back. The scripture says they were stumbled. They were offended by virtue of the word, the persecution that came with being a Christian. They were stumbled. You know, when I was a kid, we used to build traps to capture uh, if you've ever heard of a mongoose, you know, it's like a, it's like a glorified squirrel on, on steroids. <laughs> That's the best way for me. They're quite dangerous. And they were brought uh, into the Caribbean islands uh, in order to kill snakes. So it tells you, if this little creature that is about the size of a, of a, a, a full, you know, a fully grown squirrel can, can kill a serpent. They were pretty dangerous. Well, we used to capture them. And what would happen is, you know, a very simple Contraption, you have you know, a box and it's held up by a stick, maybe about six to eight inches long, and the box is being propped up. And um, there's, there's a, a little piece of rancid meat that, that's tied to that stick, but the mongoose has to go inside the trap. And all he needs to do is gently tug on that piece of meat, which is attached to that stick, which when pulled... That box falls on him and he's captured. Well, the tripping mechanism is what the Bible alludes to when it says that the person was stumbled. They were offended. They were tripped. The tripping mechanism is the heat that revealed the lack of inner depth spiritually. And what we find is the person, by virtue of being concerned about personal preservation, is a clear indication that their lives were full of self, full of flesh. Paul clearly, clearly gives specific declarations about the flesh, the fallen human nature. And this, this is the point I really want to get uh, across to your thinking. What is driving this apparent spiritual life that seems to be authentic on the outside is really the fallen human unregenerate nature <laughs> that's fueling this. And the only way God can reveal to you and me and to that person that they're not the real thing is to allow the fire of persecution that is part and parcel of the Christian life to come into their lives. And when it does, they conclude to themselves, it's not worth it to me to experience this. I relinquish this faith. Now, they won't say it to you openly like that, but they will become absent fairly quickly. And Paul says that people that are flesh-minded, people who are not mindful of what God is mindful of, are fleshly-minded. It is death, he calls it. The people who are fleshly-minded, that is a life of death. You die if you are driven and fueled by a fleshly life. 
But the life of the Spirit, the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. The state that exists is life and peace in the, in the Spirit of God, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, indwelling that person, having regenerated, birthed anew their spirit. This is life. This is peace. But the person who has not been regenerated by the Spirit of God, but seems to evidence the Christian life, really abides in death. Still, the mind of the flesh is still corrupt and it is obstructive. It is at war with God, we are told in Romans 8 and verse 7. It's, an, it's at war with God and it is not subject to God. You know, I alluded to Job earlier. What we find about Job is, in spite of the suffering, his faith remained firm. And this is the one enduring characteristic of the authentic Christian. Endurance. The willingness to stay under the burden that is associated with faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because they have found it to be true. Oh, my friend, as we quiet our hearts yet again beside still waters, let this be a moment of personal examination. Am I authentic? Am I living for men to see? Or am I living for the approval of the living God himself? May God give us the grace that when the heat comes, we are found to be authentic followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.